0: Hi, I'm Jocelyn McDougall, independent convener and co-designer of the 2020 World Changing Women's Summit, happening January 29th to 31st in Scotts Valley, California. This gathering is an incredible opportunity to connect with women and non-binary folks who are bringing their passion and smarts to work every day. Connect with other world-changing leaders at this one-of-a-kind convening. Learn more and invest in your ticket at worldchangingwomensummit.com. And take $50 off your ticket with offer code PODCAST. See you there. Welcome to World Changing Women. I'm Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media. Each week we interview some of the most badass female founders in the world to get their insights on how they've built game-changing companies that actually have a positive impact on the world. Our hope here is to inspire and help people of all backgrounds who feel like starting a business or chasing their dream is out of their reach to reconsider. We'll hear the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly of what it takes to start and build something incredible. And we hope that every episode will leave you inspired, hopeful, and with practical tips that will help you along your journey. Welcome to World Changing Women.
1: You know, I think what I recognize is I'm not excited about cleaning. I never have been, I, that's not why I'm in this business. It's, it's really our purpose, which is to build leaders and everything in our company is about equipping our students with the skills that they really need to be successful when they leave our company. And so it, now the question is, how do we grow that?
0: Most of us have had to scrounge around for odd jobs at certain points in our lives, either to make ends meet or to help save for that certain special thing we've wanted in our lives. But few of us have turned that odd job into a thriving company. This was the case for Kristen Hadid, who started cleaning houses in college as a way to save up for a pair of jeans that she desperately wanted. 10 years later, Hadid is the founder of Student Made, a cleaning company based in Florida that helps teach leadership skills to employees to help them move on to their next big thing. I sat down with Kristen to talk accidentally starting a business, the many failures that she's had along the way, and how listening to your gut as a leader is critically important. Fair warning, this episode is chock full of great insights for entrepreneurs. You have a really interesting origin story, but before we talk about the kind of idea for Student Made, I want to talk about where you were in your life right before you started Student Made.
1: Oh, I was a very lost college student. So, <laughs> this was in 2007 and I was a sophomore. I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville. And I thought at that point in my life that success was all about money. You know, it was finding the job that would guarantee you the highest salary because that's what all my friends talked about. And that's all I knew to be true. And I changed my major nine times (laughs) by myself by like this point in my sophomore year, which I didn't even know you could do that, but I did it. And, I, and it was all you know, this quest to find that dream job, and I'm putting quotations around the word dream. And um my life kind of took a turn, unbeknownst to me. I was a finance major. My plan was to move to New York, work on Wall Street, be an investment banker. But this one day, I went to the mall. And I fell in love with a pair of jeans that I could absolutely not afford. And I I should have never been at the mall. I didn't even have any money. But I was window shopping. I saw these jeans. I'm like, I have to have those. And it wasn't my intention to start a company. It was just I needed to figure out a way to make money to buy the jeans. And so I left the mall that day and put an ad on Craigslist to clean someone's house. And that's kind of how this whole thing began.
0: Crazy. And this idea, you know, kind of wanting to go into investment banking was all of that completely and totally on the basis of how can I make the most amount of money?
1: Oh, totally. I didn't even know what an investment banker was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just saw the salary and I was like, yep, that's that looks good. That looks like success.
0: Yep. No, I was in the same boat in college. So crazy. Our definition of success right now is... Uh, very far from where it should be. Um, so let's let's keep going with this. So you put an ad on Craigslist to clean someone's house to buy a pair of jeans. Yes. What happens next?
1: So the jeans are ninety nine dollars. So I I put an ad on Craigslist saying I will clean your house for ninety nine dollars plus tax. That's all charged. You no, know, this woman <laughs> hires me. And it was a disaster. She had a 4,000 square foot house. No, (laughs) She had two dogs, two kids, you know, and I'm like, I told her I had cleaning experience, but I mean, come on. I, I, yes, experience cleaning my room, not cleaning a 4,000 square foot house. (laughs) Anyway, I I only brought a sponge and a bottle of Windex and a toilet scrubber. That's all I had (laughs) and um, was there far too long. I was I was there for so long that she was, she said it very politely, but she was like, you got to, you got to leave. Cause it it was dark. Her kids were in bed. It was time for me to go, but she paid me and I bought the jeans the next day and I thought that was it. And then she called me later to ask if I could come every week. And (laughs) she also also said she would teach me how to clean. So (laughs) there you go. But that's how it, that's like how the, you know, went from just a one-time thing to then now I'm cleaning her house every week then she's telling her friends about me. Next thing you know, I'm cleaning five days a week, six days a week. The the turning point though really happened right before my senior year. I got this contract to clean hundreds of empty college apartments. And I lived in a college town. You know, There's a huge demand when students move out and, and new students move in, all these apartments have to be ready. And there aren't cleaning companies that can handle the volume. So they, they give out contracts like candy. And I got one and I, um, it was to clean like 800 apartments at the time. I only had me and a couple of people helping me and I hired a team of 60 students because I knew how hard it was to find a job as a student. And this was like the perfect student job because it was three weeks and then that was it. And you could work as much or as little as you wanted. And the pretty much the first 60 people who applied, I got the job. I didn't really have like a screening process. Um, (laughs) But I mean, you can imagine you mix like you mix that kind of work, which filthy college apartments with 60 people that I didn't do any kind of training. And then you have me really inexperienced leader. It was a nightmare. And a couple days into the contract, 45 of the 60 people walked out um, (laughs) at the same time. And they that, like
0: went on strike, <laughs> like what, yeah. for, like for what purpose, like working
1: conditions? I, the oh, everything. So, I didn't know their names, I didn't know to give them a water break, a lunch break. The work was horrible. You, you basically needed a hazmat suit to even walk into these units. The air conditioning is broken, it's so hot. You know, I think it was just all this mixed together. And I'm sure someone was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then, next thing you know, 45 people are like, Yeah, let's let's quit. So um, they walked in where I, w- I was in this uh, clubhouse, like it's kind of like the office of the apartment complex. I was sitting there having lunch, and which was a, another problem. You know, I, I never left the clubhouse. I always stayed in this little comfortable chair while everyone was doing this hard work. And they said, "Hey, we don't want to do this anymore." And they walked out, and I was angry shocked confused I me mean, every emotion you can imagine but I I was also panicking because we had so much work to do and I only had 15 people left and I went and I found the 15 and told them what had happened and asked if they could help me figure out a, a plan to get these people back and we came up with this idea that we would have a meeting at my house that night and the way that we would get everyone to show up is we would we would promise an early paycheck if they did and so all 60 people show up and I know they don't like me, you know, and I just, I admitted that I had no clue what I was doing and I wanted to be better, but I've never done this before. And long story short, they came back and I, I know now that it's because I became a human being and I invited them in to help me. And and that was the moment for me that really changed, I think, the trajectory of my life because it made me really want to learn how to be a better leader and, and really, I became obsessed with learning how to build a company where people really wanted to be, especially when the kind of work that you're doing is like cleaning, and ended up turning down a, a job in finance to stick with with student-made my company. Crazy. I uh, know. <laughs> uh...
0: <laughs> so you're, what, 21, 22 at this point?
1: Yeah, I was 21 at that point. Okay. Mm -hmm. And
0: you're, you're making the decision to turn down the, you know, quote, successful job in the finance industry to start your own company. I have to ask why
1: Uh, you and everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No one understood. And I didn't, I don't even know if I understood, but I just knew there was something exciting about what I was doing. I was learning a lot. I was learning far more than I was learning in my classes. I was ex- really excited about this challenge of how do you make a business like this work? How do you learn how to be a better leader? And I grew up in a home where we were taught that failure isn't a bad thing, that it's a chance to learn and grow, and it's a gift if you choose to view it that way. And so I wasn't really afraid of failing. And you know, I knew that maybe this company would not work, and I would have to go get a job in finance or somewhere else. But I would rather know that I tried then live the rest of my life wondering what if I had, or what if I hadn't. And so I, I, yeah, my parents supported me, but everyone else in my life was like, what are you doing? And tomorrow we're recording this today. Yeah. Tomorrow we celebrate 10 years in business. crazy.
0: Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So as a 21 year old who is seemingly figuring this out as you're going along, what, you know, you've, you've done this huge contract. You have these 60 people who have come in for this three week contract, but then you actually want to set up a business. What are some of the very first things that you did to set up the business itself?
1: Well, when I was cleaning, just kind of on the side. And I had a couple of people, we weren't really a formal company, but when I got the contract, I had to become a legit company in order to sign the contract. So I incorporated the business. My dad is an attorney. So I, I'm, I was very lucky to have his guidance, um, with that process, but it's a, you know, it's a very simple process and funny story. So he, my parents very much raised us like, you have to learn for yourself. You have to do it yourself. You have to think for yourself. It was, it was a very tough love approach because they wanted us to be resilient. They were so supportive and caring, but at the same time, when, when the going got tough, they're like, we believe in you. We know you can figure this out and you have to figure this out. So when I incorporated my company, the name that I had chosen my before we formally incorporated, my dad said, you know, you might want to just check and make sure you're not infringing on the trademark of another business. Because if you do, that's a bad thing. And of course I'm a know-it-all, you know, and, and I didn't, and he even gave me the link. He's like, this is where you can go to check it out. (laughs) Of course I infringed on a national mate. You know, if I had just done a Google search, I would have found that I had, but the part, the crazy part is I spent my entire business loan. I had to get a loan for things like cleaning supplies and vacuums and all that. So I got a $10,000 line of credit, which was very hard to get because I was so young. I didn't have any credit myself. Um, and I, when I got it, I spent the whole thing on everything with this logo on it. I mean, I got business cards, oh. I got chemical bottles that had the logo, everything. <sighs> and then I get a call from an attorney representing this major, this national maid franchise. And they're like, yeah, you, you infringed on our trademark. You have to throw everything away with your logo on it and change the name of your company. <laughs> and, um, I told my dad, I'm like, there's gotta be a mistake. You know, can you help me? And he knew, he knew. do <laughs> it. And he, you know, and now like the lesson is I always do my research and we laugh about it. He's like, you know how hard it was for me to stomach. But I knew that if I stepped in, you would, you would have to learn this lesson later and the stakes would be higher. And so it was a rocky start but I think what I learned from all that is no matter how bad it gets in the beginning you know it's it's you're learning lessons that are so valuable and you'd much rather learn them early on than later when you have a lot more to lose. Oh, my gosh.
0: I I cannot even imagine being your dad and just watching (laughs) you do this.
1: Oh, me either.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. I like your dad. He sounds cool. (laughs) Me too. Um, So besides that uh, very specific story, is there anything at the very beginning that you did that you actually wish that you had done differently in setting up the company?
1: Oh, well. That's a good question. You know, I think um, my focus in the beginning was, I think I was so traumatized by the 45 people quitting on me that my focus was all about how do I keep people? And I didn't have a lot of money. And in the cleaning industry, you have to do a lot of volume to make money. And so in the beginning, like when you really need to be focusing on the money, you really need to be making sure that, you know, you're, because that's how you're going to build a sustainable company. My focus instead was on the people and how do I make sure that I keep people. And, and not that I don't think that should be a focus. I am totally more of a culture person than I am anything else. But what I did is I put the financial security of the business second. Because when people would say, oh, I want to go for this other job because I want more money, I would, just, it, I would immediately give it to them. Or, oh, we need to get new uniforms. I would immediately get them. Because I was so afraid that if I didn't jump when people said, you know, we need this, they would leave. And so I ended up getting us in a really bad place where we had to take out a lot of debt. And, um, and I realized now that if you really want to take care of people, the financial piece is a critical component to that because there was a day where I woke up and I, I didn't know how I was going to make payroll. And that is such a scary day. And, and these people put their, their, you know, they trust you with their livelihood. And, and so I think, yeah, what I wish I would have learned in the beginning is how to balance that and, you know, money isn't everything, but at the same time you, you need it. And it is a priority.
0: Fantastic lesson. Um, talk to me a little bit about the traction. I mean, I know it's been 10 years, um, Mm -hmm. but starting from those early days, kind of how did it start and where, how have you grown since that time?
1: It's been an, it's been an exciting journey of peaks and valleys. You know, it, it, um, from, from the time I graduated, you know, things grew really quickly we got our we definitely became known as the company that could handle high volume and so we got to a place where we were peaking up to five six hundred people and we would do regular residential cleaning but then in the summers when all the students would move out we would handle a lot of these really quick turns of, of properties and then um, at some point we we thought well we, we've got what's next you know we have our Gainesville location and I was feeling a lot of pressure from people outside of the company to grow more and franchise and do all these things. And so we opened a second location in Pensacola, Florida, and it was, it went really well, but my heart wasn't there, you know? And I, I think this is another lesson I learned is growth doesn't look the same for everyone. And it doesn't always mean that you have to grow by the number of employees and the number of clients. And the growth that we were experiencing was taking a toll on our culture especially the really busy time in the summer when we would peak up and hire all these people and work with all these properties who didn't always treat us very well. It felt like a different company. And even with the Pensacola location, my heart wasn't there. And so I felt like the culture um, there was not really the same as the culture in Gainesville. And I felt like it wasn't really fair to that team. And so we actually downsized. Um, we decided that we're not going to do the, the really busy season. We're only going to work with a few select clients that we love that really treat us well and treat our people well. And we decided to sell our second location and really get clear on what does growth look like for us. And you know, I, I think what I recognize is I'm not excited about cleaning. I never have been. I, that's not why I'm in this business. It's, it's really our purpose, which is to build leaders. And everything in our company is about Equipping our students with the skills that they really need to be successful when they leave our company, and so now the question is, how do we grow that? Like, how do we help other organizations create um, environments where people feel really invested in? How do we help groom the next generation of leaders? And so that was more the direction that we wanted to grow in, and it didn't look like the typical franchise from one to a hundred locations, but it felt true to me and to our company, and so. Yeah, it's been, I think, again, another lesson is like, you have to follow your gut, you have to, no one gets to define what growth looks like for you. And it's, you know, everyone has an opinion. But at the end of the day, if your heart isn't there, it's not going to be successful. So you have to stay true to what your gut is telling you.
0: Hmm. I love that. Um, I want to dig in a little bit to this leadership side of things. So how did the purpose of student made really become helping these students with their leadership and, and actually like, what does the program look like for them?
1: Well, I was learning a lot as a young leader and I was failing a lot. And you know, it's things like, how do you have your first feedback conversation and how do you build a relationship with your team? And how do you confidently walk into a room and introduce yourself when you're not confident? And all these things that I was having to to figure out. And then I, I thought, well, if I'm having to figure this out, I'm sure that the people in my company will soon have to figure it out when they graduate and go and, and get a, a you know, start their first job, real job. And so it started very, it was very organic. It was like, hey guys, I went to a networking event today and I would love to tell you about my experience if you want to hear about it, come tonight for pizza. Or, hey, I just read this book. If you want me to tell you about it, it was really cool. Come and I'll get everybody lunch. And everyone would show up. And so there was something there. And and it wasn't until uh, maybe the last five years or so that we really formalized it. But now what it looks like is we have curriculum that we teach. And we actually teach a lot of this stuff before we even get to the cleaning part. But we teach things like, what is empathy? how, what is vulnerability and how do you use it to build trust? How do you find your strengths? How do you articulate those strengths in an interview? How do you confront someone in a productive way? How do you recognize someone in a meaningful way? all these things that don't have to do with cleaning, um, but they have everything to do with success in life and sadly are not taught in the classroom. And we just see it as we have this tremendous opportunity while these people are in our care to really equip them with the skills that they need to thrive so that when they graduate, they can go make their mark on the world. And what's so, what's so crazy to me is like the focus used to be, how do I keep people? Now the focus is how do we get people ready for the world and launch them into the world? And it's like, we want them to move on. We want them to take what they've learned elsewhere, but now they don't want to leave. So it, it just shows like when you invest in people and you stop worrying about keeping everybody, and you just focus on really helping people become the best versions of themselves, then all of a sudden, people don't want to go anywhere. (laughs) Isn't that funny?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Turns out when you treat people well, they don't want to go anywhere.
1: (laughs) I know. Someone, I don't remember who said it, but it's brilliant. It's like, well, what if we invest in them and they leave? And then the response to that is, "What if we don't invest in them and they stay?" <laughs> <laughs> I That's <think> that, worse. <laughs> that might
0: have been uh, Bob Chapman from Barry yes, Way Miller. Yeah. My, oh, yeah. Yeah, we just uh, just had him at our leaders forum, and I believe he said that exact same little anecdote yes. on our stage, which was
1: wonderful. So good.
0: Oh, um, so, I mean, you've been at this for 10 years tomorrow. I am curious about how you've fundraised, um, has, you know, it sounds like at the beginning you went for a line of credit, but did you actually bring in any outside investment, any uh, advice that you have for people in terms of building their company, um, on the fundraising side of things?
1: I never had any outside investment. What um, I know a lot. I did have, you know, bank loans and, um And especially because of what I said at the beginning, my mentality about money, which got me in trouble that I learned from, you know, but I, I think the reason I never had investment is because I was a part of this group, other, other entrepreneurs, very different industries, but around the same age. And many of them were getting investors and, and I was, I observed some not have the best experience, you know. You're, you're not aligned with your investor or your values don't align with this person's values. And it seemed to be causing a lot of pain. And so I just, from observing what was happening around me, I made a decision that I, that wasn't going to happen to me. And I never had a partner, but I, but I don't think that getting investment is a bad thing at all. I think it's just, you have to make sure that you are finding people who really believe what you believe and that your values are aligned. And I think as long as you have that, it works. But when you're in a desperate place and you need money and you're willing to take it from whomever will give it to you, I think that's where you can get yourself in some trouble. And then later down the road, you realize that you aren't aligned. Um, and that's a really hard thing. So I don't have too much to offer there. Um, but the, you know, I do have a wonderful banker and I've learned that that's a relationship that's really critical. Uh, we bank with a community bank because there's a lot more flexibility there. And, um, as we've grown, you know, we've made sure that the bank is kind of on the journey with us so that we can make sure we have everything that we need. So I guess I guess the relationship, is, that's what's similar in both. The relationship piece is so important.
0: Oh, that's great. Congratulations. <laughs> You're like you. one of the two people who's ever been on the show that hasn't had to take oh, really? outside financing. <laughs> um, I'm envious. Oh. Um, so, in your book, uh, Permission to Screw Up, you detail some of your biggest mistakes that you've made along the way in your journey, which I absolutely love. Um, we've already heard a few, but I was wondering if there is w- another one that is just kind of one of your favorites that you really learned a lot from.
1: My favorite one. Is the, well, I think it's, it's, I, I would sum it up as relationships and it's the mistake is, I think the question is like, what, how close do you get to your team? And it's this balance of, you want people to see you as a leader, but you also want them to feel like you truly care about them. And at the beginning of my company, my, I didn't have an office. My office was my house. And so my team members were in my house. They saw it you know, I didn't have any, anything between me and them. And and we were very close. And then the more that I read about leadership, the more I learned, oh, I need to hold people accountable. You need people to respect you. you know? So then I went to the complete opposite side where I didn't really talk to them about anything personal and I kept it all business. And that so did not feel like me. And I think the job of a leader is to understand people on on the team deeply and I think you can't meet people where they are unless you really understand who they are and where they've been and so I thought I knew people but I didn't and and I think it's it's there's so much more than just knowing what's going on in someone's life today or what they're doing for the weekend it's like what is this person walking in the door with like what what are they experienced in their life that is coming with them everywhere they go that gives us context to their behavior and why they act the way they do and why maybe this thing frustrates them and that thing doesn't And I think when you do that you can reach you meet people with empathy and understanding versus not not understanding why they behave in certain ways and so There was this one day and I talk about it in the book where I had a meeting with my team and We went around and we shared the most defining moment that that's ever happened in our lives and it was I will never forget that day because my mom works on my team and she shared something that I had never heard before. And we are so close. And I just couldn't believe, you know, if I didn't know this about my own mom, imagine what I didn't know about the other people in the room. And, and that experience just really changed my perspective on what relationships are and how we can cultivate them. And that's a huge focus that student made.
0: One thing that you mentioned right before we actually started recording was that um, the company's based in Florida and yeah. that you're now in Houston. And I'm curious, how do you continue to cultivate those same relationships with your team, um, even when you're not in the same place?
1: Well, so this is, I'm so glad you brought this up. That was a really hard point in my life because I loved, of course, I love my company. But I did not love where I was living. Mm. And if it wasn't for my company, I would have never stayed in Gainesville. I stayed because of my company. And I just was ready for something bigger. Gainesville is a college town. It's wonderful, but it, I just wanted a bigger city. And, but I felt so guilty even saying that out loud, you know, and then I thought, well, if I feel this way, I'm, I bet you the other people on my leadership team, there's gotta be other things that they feel that they're afraid to bring up. And so we had an offsite and I gave everyone a blank piece of paper and I told them to write down what their life looks like in five years. And I said, be you know as vivid detail as you possibly can. Where do you live? Where are you working? And when I said that, people kind of looked up at me, like, what'd you just say? Cause I I at that point I wasn't somebody who's was like, Yeah, you can move on from the company. I wanted every I wanted to keep everyone. So I said, Yeah, it's okay. If student made isn't on your paper, I, I wanna know, you know. And we went around and we shared what was on our paper. And I shared that I wanted to move away from Gainesville and it felt like the hugest weight was lifted off of me. And everyone was like, We know. We're surprised it took you this long to say it out loud. <laughs> um, so that was cool. But Also, there are people in the room who said, one said, I want to move to Portland, but I love my job and I want to be able to work remotely and keep my job. One said, I've never worked anywhere else. I want to move on, but not because I don't like the company because I just want more experience. But she gave us one year notice because of that. I mean, 365 days to prepare for her, her departure. So I realized we have to create the space for people to talk openly about their dreams and their visions for their life, and we we have to make them feel safe doing that, and we can't make them feel guilty for admitting they want something, and I think because I was in that experience, I, I know, you know, how it feels, so we have a mostly a remote exec team, and we use Zoom a lot, which we, all, we always use the video, we don't, we always say, like, if we can't be together in person, we have to do video, because you just can't, you know, email, text, even when you have the video off, you body language a lot of a lot is missing tone of voice so we're very big on that we do four we try to connect four times a year in person one of those is usually out of the country we go away um for a week and we really just get clear on the year and we work on our relationship Uh, but we do also something called a monthly workshop which is every month on zoom unless we can be together in person and it's the the day is dedicated to to our dynamic as a team. So we talk about what's working, what's not. It's not so much the granular, you know, nitty gritty things. It's more the overarching, what are the things holding us up? It doesn't really allow for tension to build because we are meeting every month about these things. And then in addition to that, of course we have like our weekly meetings. We have, you know, each individual has check-in with another individual. So we have enough in place, I think, to where it it doesn't, the the distance doesn't affect us, but of course there's nothing like being in person. So you have to work really hard and probably meet more than you might originally because you want to preserve those relationships.
0: Mm. I love that. So this next question is kind of half-baked. I hope it comes out of my mouth. Okay. Uh, So as, as leaders uh, and CEOs and people running organizations, there's often this pressure of, um, kind of denying your own inner voice in in service of what the company needs. And I just kind of heard it in what you said, you know, you had wanted to leave Gainesville, but you'd been super afraid to admit that to yourself, even though you knew that that was something that you wanted what actually gave you the permission to listen to your own inner voice and host that kind of offsite where you guys all wrote on your pieces of paper and where you actually moved away from Gainesville um even though you had made up a story that you couldn't do that in the name of the company
1: yeah i think it was an evolution i think it i don't think it was just one day i woke up i think it was bit by bit um you know over time i realized I was working so hard to build this company and to build, help help the people on my team build the lives that they really wanted. And I looked at my life and I thought, well, what am I doing to to build the life that I want? And I think you want to be selfless as a leader. You know, you want to give your time and your heart and your energy to everybody else and everything else. And then what happens is one day you wake up and you're like, well, what have I done for myself? And and you think it's selfish to put yourself first and your needs first. And that, and I really struggle with that because being generous is a huge value of mine. And I felt like anytime I put my needs before the company's, I was being selfish. But I realized now, no, like you, you have to be your best self if you want to be the best leader, the best you know, anything. Um, I remember there was a time when I was grocery shopping and there was a, a person who ran up to me and gave me a hug and I didn't know who this person was and clearly they knew who I was. And she says, I work for you. (laughs) And it was the most mortifying, you know, and I I remember beating myself up, like, how could you not know this person's name? And she works with you. And, but you can't be everything to everyone. And I I had to accept that, okay, I don't have enough time to know every student anymore. I, I, I can definitely build a relationship with every member on my leadership team. You know, And, and I, I think it's just an evolution, like learning that, that it's okay to say no. It's okay to protect your time and energy. It's okay to accept that the things you used to do, you can't do anymore. And also it's okay to want more and it's okay to get to a point where you feel like your needs need to come before the companies because how can your company be at its best if you're not at your best? Absolutely. So it's it's tough, it's tough. And I, I do feel like I remember the days where I would wake up and think, gosh, what would it be like to just not have a company, you know, not have <laughs> anyone depend on you. And I would, I would fantasize about it for a little bit. And then I'm like, nah, it'd be pretty boring. But so, the, so it's a juggle of how do you make life work with this huge thing that you have?
0: Hmm. Hey, Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So speaking of that struggle, I'm curious uh, right now where you are, what are you struggling most with in your role?
1: Well, I, I, the struggle that I just came out of, and then I'll tell you where I'm, where I'm headed next. Um, I, my title as a CEO of student made was, was, but I didn't feel like the CEO. And you know, I think the point when you have a company, you want to work yourself out of a job, right? You want to empower people to take ownership so that if you get hit by a bus, the, the company lives on. And, and that's what happened. And I looked around one day and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I, I felt like I didn't really have a job. And that while that's great for some, maybe I, I wanted to really still be involved. And so I've learned enough through the last 10 years that when I feel stuck, the best thing I can do is sit down with my team and tell them. And so I said, Hey, I'm really feeling stuck with my role. And together we came up with a new role for me. And it's the chief of vision, which I love. And that is, Feels like me. It's more like where are we headed as a company, and how are we going to get there, and are we positioned to get there? And I, the, where the struggle that I'm headed to next is, where are we going? You know, and I think it's it's been ten years, and it's we have to reinvent ourselves. We have to do something a little bit differently. And I have these ideas, but I need to bring more clarity to them. So I've hired a coach to help me get really clear. But I think sometimes you just get tired and you get sort of complacent. Like business is good, you know. It's doing great. It does it really have to grow? Can we just keep it how it is? Can we just maintain this? But I know in my heart I want to grow our our mission and I want it to be bigger than it is. So now with my new role, that's my job. I gotta figure out what that looks like. (laughs) I love it. Yeah.
0: Um, I have to ask, kind of with all the things you have and how rich and full your life is, what does your daily or weekly routine look like? And what practices do you have that actually serve your
1: personal sustainability? yeah well, it, so student made is one aspect, but most of my time is actually spent speaking and doing consulting work and so I would say eighty percent of my time is more on that on that side of the business and so I'm on a plane every other day last year we added it up just for fun to see I did seventy seven events and and uh, that's a lot of flying you know I think it was like two hundred and fifty flights or something um. And I felt like at the end of last year that I had ran myself into the ground. I just, I was so tired. Just the thought of getting up to brush my teeth, you know, was, it it was overwhelming. And I, again, I realized I'm putting everyone else first. I'm not putting myself first. And so my commitment this year is that my mind, body, and spirit, my mind, body, and spirit are the healthiest we've ever been. That's my number one goal for the whole year. And one big piece of that. For me, I've learned my mornings. I have to protect my mornings because if I start my day helping everybody else, then I'm so tired at the end of the day that I can't do the things for myself. So that looks like I I wake up every morning and I journal, I write, I exercise, I make a really healthy breakfast. And even if I'm on the road, I I do these things. Um, And then I start my day and then I help people with with what they need from me. Reading is huge. I, I try to read a chapter every day of something because it really expands my mind and I get a lot of ideas when I read. And I'm really big on coaching. I have an executive coach, a health coach, a creative coach, and a therapist. <laughs> and I meet <laughs> regularly with all of them. Um, I'm also engaged and, and trying to plan a wedding. So there's just a lot, there's a lot, but you have to, you have to put yourself first, you know? And I think, serve yourself before you serve others so that you can better serve others.
0: Absolutely. Um, so it's, you know, you're kind of this expert on leadership. Uh, I'm curious if there is a single piece of leadership advice that you've gotten on your journey or one that you often give that you keep coming back to, or is more of a mantra.
1: I always say the goal is to be human, not perfect. Mm. People want to follow a human and, and I think being human takes courage. You know, human is not letting your ego get in the way when you mess up and just saying it out loud. It's inviting people in to help you. It's admitting when you don't know the way forward, admitting when you're stuck. It's being willing to confront difficult issues instead of pretending that they're, you know, everything's rainbow and butterflies. It's it's hard. But I think when you're human and you can really be who you truly are instead of who you're pretending to be, you build trust and you inspire the people around you to be more authentic and human. And I think that's when you can really do amazing work together. But for some reason we put on this front and we act like we always have the answers. We always know the way forward. And that's just not, you know, no one really is that way. So I don't really know why we pretend to be that, but I think it, it prevents us from achieving amazing things together.
0: And then building on that, uh, from the top lessons that you have from building your company, What are maybe two to three of the top
1: pieces of advice that you have for other business leaders? Number one, not everyone's opinion matters. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A lot of people project, you know, they see you excited about something and they don't have something that they're excited about. So they minimize what you're excited about. Or they had a project that didn't, you know, that they really believed in that never came to fruition. And now that's being projected onto you. And so I think you have to really ask yourself, the people who are giving you advice... Whose intentions are truly, you know, I care for you. I really, you know, am invested in this. And who is just here? I have, you know, my opinion when it stems from everything that's happened in my life that didn't work the way I wanted it to. And I'm just saying it to say it. You know, I think, and, and people who truly care about you might not give you good advice. And so you can just smile and say thank you and still do it your way. And just grow in a way that is natural and feels right to you and not on necessarily what feels right to everybody else. So that would be number one. Not everyone's opinion matters. Number two, absolutely ask for help. When you feel stuck, when you don't know the answer, don't sit, don't sit there by yourself. Don't, don't isolate yourself. Don't be on the island by yourself. Invite people in to help you. It'll be so much better. And just remember every time it will build trust. And then I think um, the third thing is when you start to grow a team, learn to let go. Understand that you can be a great leader and have people leave your company. It doesn't mean you're a bad leader. I think we define success incorrectly in leadership. I think it's not it's not all about retention and not all about everyone who's still with you. It's also the people who feel like they can go pursue other dreams and and who are going even better because they worked with you. So learning to let go and not make it. It's not about you. It's about them. And um, those would be my top three.
0: Mm, I love it. The, the first one reminds me, um, good old Brene Brown. She, uh, her special recently on Netflix, she said something, you know, she brought up the Roosevelt quote about the credit belongs to the man or woman who's in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood and and that entire quote. And then she said, I no longer care about the opinions of people who aren't in the arena.
1: Exactly. And I was like, yes. Uh, so good. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's like no one can give you, if they're not brave and courageous and in this thing, entrepreneurship, I think is such a, gosh, to be an entrepreneur takes such bravery and courage. And if someone is not in that, it's really hard to take their opinions, you know, because it's like no one really gets it until they're there doing what you're doing. Yes. Oh
0: um. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could just chat with <laughs> hours. Uh, but as someone who has a bajillion speaking gigs and is currently on the road, I have to... You know, respect your time here. I have one last question. Yeah. Um, what is giving you hope for the world right now?
1: Oh, every day when I look at my my team, we hire as young as high school. So we're everyone's talking about millennials, but we're talking in my company about Gen Z because we're seeing Gen Z now, the generation coming after millennials, and there is such a desire to make a an amazing impact on the world. And. If, if the future looks like what's in my company, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing.
0: A huge thanks this week goes up to Kristen Hadid and the whole team over at Student Made, as well as our incredible production team at StoryPop Media and the whole Conscious Company media team. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you tell a friend about the show and be sure to subscribe to get the latest episode. Thanks so much for listening.
1: StoryPop Media Production.